everyone. Please keep your Bibles open there at John chapter 10. We will be looking at the first half of John 10. Please ignore the outline in your sermon outlines. I was planning to look at the whole chapter, but uh, there was so much good stuff in the first half that I thought we would focus our time there instead. Here's an outline on the screen if that helps you. Because we won't be dealing with the second half of the passage, you can read it this week at home and be ready for next Sunday when we will look at John chapter 11. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you again for our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. We pray now that his words would pierce our hearts and inform our minds and would transform us to be people of faith and obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you remember the quote that Phil shared with us way back in the first week of John's Gospel. It went like this. The Gospel of John is a swimming pool, shallow enough that a child may wade and deep enough that an elephant can swim. It's a great quote, isn't it? What does it mean? Well, it means that in many ways, the Gospel of John is really, really simple. Its message is clear. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. Believe in Him and you will have eternal life. Simple. But as John shows us this simple truth all throughout the Gospel, chapter by chapter, he also shows us things that stretch our minds and hurt our brains. As he shows us who he is, his relationship with the Father and the salvation that he has won for us. These things are hard to wrap our heads around at times. Well, let me tell you that this week I have felt like I was drowning in the pool of John's gospel looking at this passage. Why? Because Jesus says such beautiful, simple things, but then he says things that are quite mind-stretching and not always easy to decipher. For example, Jesus uses this wonderful image, this parable of a shepherd and his sheep. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. He uses that wonderful, simple image. But throughout the passage, he mixes his metaphors and changes who the characters are in the story. And so we're left confused about what it exactly means. So what we're going to do today is look at some of the clearer parts of the passage and use them to understand some of the less clear or the harder parts to understand. And the place where Jesus is really clear and upfront is in the second half of the chapter, verses 26 to 30. Now, we didn't read this out, but we're still going to explore it briefly. And so come with me. Let's have a look. Verse 26. The Jewish leaders have just interrogated Jesus. They don't believe in him. And so he says in reply, you don't believe in me because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is the place where Jesus explains this shepherd image from earlier in the chapter. What's he doing with this image? Well, he's doing two things. He's rebuking the Jewish leaders, but he's comforting his people. He's saying to the Jewish leaders, the reason you don't listen to me, don't believe in me, is because you are not my sheep. You are not my people. I am the good shepherd. I have my own sheep. 
but they are not you. No, you stubbornly refuse to believe in me despite everything I say and do. He's rebuking the Jewish leaders. But he's also comforting his people, his followers. He says, these Jewish leaders, they're not my sheep, but I am a shepherd and I have sheep. Who are they? They're the people who hear my voice, those who believe in me. Jesus wants to comfort his sheep by telling us that he is our shepherd. And he tells us what kind of a shepherd he is. Have a look down there at verse 28. What does Jesus do for his sheep? He gives them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. He's giving his sheep that great comfort, that wonderful news of grace, that if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. You will not perish. And then he gives them this crazy, the single greatest comfort that he could ever give them. Look at verse 28 again. He says, I'll give them eternal life. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Do you see the comfort he's trying to give? This is the single greatest comfort Jesus can give his sheep, his people. No one can snatch you out of his hand. No matter what dangers come our way, our salvation is secure. Our eternity is safe in the hands of God. Why? Because Jesus is the shepherd who doesn't lose any of his sheep. And because no one can steal anything from God the Father, if he is the greatest of all things that have ever existed, do you really think you could take from him? And if the Father and the Son are working together for our good and protecting their sheep, do you really think that any of them could be snatched away from them? No. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We are united in person and purpose, and that purpose is you, his sheep. We will hold on and will not let go, no matter what danger comes. If, he, if we are his sheep, if we are one of his sheep, he will protect us until the end. He will make sure we are his until the day we die, or the day Jesus returns in glory. Jesus is comforting his sheep his followers. And so with this shepherd and sheep image, Jesus is doing those two things, rebuking the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, comforting his people. And he does that throughout the whole rest of the passage. So with that in mind, let's go into the passage from the first verse, and we'll look at each part of the story, this image that Jesus gives us, and we'll see that same thing going on. Rebuke to the Pharisees, comfort to his people. So remember the story so far, Jesus has been in Jerusalem for the Festival of Tabernacles for many chapters now, since the beginning of chapter 7. And last week we saw Jesus do the miraculous. He healed a man blind from birth, healed his eyes and healed his brain to be able to perceive what he can see. He opened the man's spiritual eyes so that he believed. And he said to the Pharisees and Jewish leaders, You are blind. You are blind, and now you're even more blind because you are so unwilling to believe in me. 
And so Jesus now continues to rebuke the Jewish leaders. The verses just keep rolling on from chapter 9. So let's start at the beginning, the shepherd's story. Have a look there, verses 1 to 5. This is where Jesus first paints this picture for us. And the picture, it makes sense, doesn't it? Here's my rendition of the picture up on the screen. Jesus paints a picture of a sheep pen. Perhaps it has some stone walls, some nice fluffy sheep inside, and a door for the sheep to come in and out of. Looks like a nice place to be, doesn't it? Safe for the sheep. But in this picture, there's two kinds of people. First, there's the baddies. There's the thieves and robbers. What are they like? Well, they're out to get the sheep. They don't go in through the door. They come in over the fence and sneak in with malicious intent. That's the baddies, but then there's the goodies. You'll be thankful to know that I don't think Jesus looked like that, and I don't think first century shepherds looked like that, but I thought he looked heroic, so it was appropriate. This is the shepherd. The shepherd, he's the owner of the sheep. He comes in through the door. What's he like? What, what happens in the story? Well, the baddies lose and the goodies win, like every good story, right? The sheep, what do they do? They don't know the voice of the thieves and robbers, and so they run away. They won't listen to strangers. But because the shepherd, because the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, they listen to him. They follow him. When it's time for the sheep to come out and graze, they trust him. They follow him. When it's time to go back in at night, in they go and they're safe. All is well. And even though the Jews, look at verse 6, they don't get it. It's not very hard, is it, to see that Jesus is talking about himself and the Jewish leaders. He's the goody, the shepherd, and the Pharisees and Jewish leaders, they're the baddies. And the sheep, well, they are Jesus' people, those who listen to him, his sheep. And so Jesus is using this story to rebuke the Jewish leaders. You see it, uh, you see Jesus, sorry, you see the Jewish leaders were meant to be faithful shepherds who cared for God's sheep, the people of Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, that word shepherd keeps coming up when you read it, doesn't it? It's because the leaders of God's people were called shepherds. Moses was called a shepherd. David was a literal shepherd and then a figurative shepherd of God's people. And we saw it in our Ezekiel reading before, didn't we? Ezekiel, at his time, God rebuked the Jewish leaders or shepherds because they were greedy, because they were feeding themselves rather than feeding their people. They didn't care for the poor and the widows. They led the nation astray into worshipping idols. God rebukes them and punishes them. So Jesus is saying to the Jewish leaders of his day, you are just the same. You are not only not my sheep, you are not the shepherds that you are supposed to be faithfully leading Israel to know God and live for Him. No, instead, you are thieves and robbers. You oppress the people. You lead them with fear and threats. You teach them to obey strict laws without even knowing the God who gave them. You are spiritually blind and you lead others in blindness too. Jesus is rebuking the Jewish leaders. They are selfish thieves with no regard for the sheep. Listen to how Jesus puts it in verse 10. One of the most famous verses in John's gospel, a thief 
comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the verdict of Jesus on these Jewish leaders, the leaders of Israel. Their attitudes and actions are selfish. They only harm the people that they lead. They are not true shepherds. Jesus rebukes them, but he also comforts them. Have a look at verse 7. Jesus changes the image slightly. Instead of being the shepherd, Jesus says, verse 7, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pleasure, pasture. He says, if the sheep enter the sheep pen through me, through the door, now Jesus is the door in the illustration, they will be safe and secure. They will come and go as they will please. They will be able to graze on the greenest pastures. They will live the good sheep life. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you are a sheep and I am a door. And if you want eternal life, you need to come through that door. He's saying that he is the door to eternal life. He is the way to be saved. Like Jesus says later in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to have eternal life. Come to him, enter through him, and you have the life he promises. Eternal safety and security. Look at the way he puts it in verse 10, that famous verse again. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Or you might know the old translation, that they may have life and have it to the full, which is the name of our series, isn't it? That's because John's gospel is all about life. Life is the topic of the whole gospel of John. It's about the eternal life that Jesus gives and promises to those who believe, those who come to him. And I think this is really important because it means that Jesus didn't come to weigh burdens on us that we cannot bear. That's what the Jewish leaders did to God's people. Jesus did not come to take advantage of you and steal from you like the Jewish leaders did. No, he has come to give you life. Life in abundance, life to the full. And the life that Jesus talks about in John's gospel is that you won't perish. It's life that doesn't end as all other life seems to. So if you have the life Jesus is talking about, you won't die and face God's condemnation. You will live free from his condemnation. And even if you physically die, on the last day you will be raised, never to die again. So death has lost its power and its sting. The life Jesus talks about is where you know the holy and loving God and creator of the universe. That is mind-blowing. If you are united with him in perfect relationship for eternity. The life Jesus describes is life with a family of believers. The church, given to you by God, called to love one another as Christ has loved us. That is the life Jesus talks about. 
And it's definitely not what the world and the prosperity preachers want to say that it is. Health and wealth, worldly success, freedom from troubles, soaking up as much experience in life as possible. Those things might be good gifts that God decides to give you. But they are not the life Jesus talks about here. Instead, it's life that can endure any hardship when there's no prosperity and only adversity, the life that can endure any of that because we are content in Christ, the one who suffered for us. Instead, it's the life that finds joy in the grace of God, knowing we don't deserve a single shred of His kindness. It's life that gets to delight in knowing Jesus, the loving and just ruler of the world, no matter what we might be experiencing. In these verses, Jesus is comforting his people. He says, come to me, enter life through me, life to the full. It's life with Jesus as your shepherd. And it's what Jesus now goes on to talk about more in the rest of the passage, the last part of the passage. He continues to rebuke the Jewish leaders, comfort his people. So come with me, let's look at verse 11. Jesus says, not only am I a shepherd, I am the good shepherd. Why is that important, that word good? Why does he say that? I think it's because he's continuing to make that contrast between himself and the Jewish leaders. Have a look at verse 10, sorry, verse 10 again. He says, I am the good shepherd, you are bad shepherds, you Jewish leaders. He calls them hired men in verse 12. Hired men who run away when a wolf comes to attack the sheep. Before Jesus had called them thieves and robbers, now Jesus calls them hired men. They are shepherds for hire who run away from danger. And here's a comical picture of them. But the story makes sense, doesn't it? Who's going to care more for the sheep? The owner of the sheep or the people who are paid to be there? Which kind of shepherd is more likely to risk their lives for the sheep? It's the owner, isn't it? The owner of the sheep has more care and concern for the people. And so Jesus, again, rebuking the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, saying, you're meant to be Israel's shepherds. You're meant to be so concerned with them that you would risk your life for them. But instead, if something gets hard, you run away. You're meant to administer justice in the land. You're meant to seek the cause of the the poor and the widow. But instead, you take advantage of them or just let it happen and turn a blind eye. And this happened in Ezekiel's day as well. And as we read before, God said he would do something about it, didn't he? He said he would remove the unfaithful shepherds of Israel And he would come and personally shepherd them. And he also promised to put a faithful shepherd, a man, in charge of his sheep. Have a look at verse Ezekiel 34 on the screen. God says, I will appoint over them, Israel, a single shepherd. Who will it be? My servant David. And he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. Or Ezekiel 37, 
My servant David will be king over them, and there will be one shepherd for them all. See what's going on here? Jesus is saying, those words are fulfilled in me, the son of David. David lived and died many years earlier. It seems a little bit silly to think that he would come back to life and shepherd Israel. And so what, what God is promising in these verses is that a son of David would come to shepherd his people. Jesus says, that's me. I am that good shepherd, the Messiah, the son of David. Look at verse 16. He says, I have sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. That's us, the Gentiles, by the way. And then there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is comforting his people. Those who are faithful Israelites, who believed in the Messiah when he came, and who do so today. But then also us Gentiles, who are included in those wonderful promises to Israel. So we too can have Jesus as our Messiah and Lord. Jesus is the shepherd of the one flock, his people. And then Jesus tells us what kind of shepherd he is, what kind of Messiah and King. Look at verse 11. He comforts his people and he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Sometimes being a shepherd out in the open field would be a dangerous task, right? Do you remember what King David said about his time as a shepherd? He said, I fought and killed lions and bears. Maybe he was the rugged shepherd, the, like the picture that I showed before. Maybe he looked a bit like that. But that's what a good shepherd does, right? Lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus says it again, end of verse 16. I lay my life down for the sheep. And here it is again, plain and simple. Jesus is talking about the cross. Because in just a few months' time, Jesus will lay down his life for the sheep. He will die for their sin. He will fight and defeat their greatest enemy, sin and death. Jesus comforts his people. If you are my sheep, I lay down my life for you. That's the kind of shepherd he is. But death is not the end for Jesus, is it? Nor for us. Because look at verse 17. Jesus says, this is why the Father loves me. It's not the only reason, but it's a reason. Because I am laying down my life so I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I received this command from my Father. This is really important for understanding the cross. Jesus is saying, it's not as if when the good shepherd dies, that all of a sudden things were out of control. That God had lost control, that Jesus was no longer running the show, and all of a sudden the Jewish leaders had won. And it's not as if that God the Father forced Jesus to go to the cross. No, Jesus, the Father commanded him, but Jesus willingly submitted Jesus is in control at every step, so much so that he's the one who lays down his life and he says, I can pick it up again. And that is exactly what he did on the third day. He chose to die 
And then he chose to rise again. Jesus was comforting his people. He was in control. Well, I wonder if you felt a little bit like you were drowning as we wrestled with that passage in John's Gospel. Some of what Jesus says here is really hard to grapple with, and we didn't even get to explore everything in those verses or in the chapter. Jesus says some mind-stretching things. But I hope you can see that the simple, that the big picture is quite simple. That Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one who loves and cares for his sheep. His sheep listen to him. They believe in him and they have eternal life. Life to the full. Jesus comforts his sheep. But the Jewish leaders, on the other hand, they are not his sheep. They are robbers and thieves. They are hired men who run away from the sheep. Jesus' parable rebukes them sharply. But to finish, I want us just to reflect reflect briefly on our response to Jesus in this passage. Because this passage speaks to those who do believe in Jesus and also those who don't. So first, if you are not someone who says you're a believer in Jesus, if you're checking out Christianity or you've decided to give up on it, or perhaps you never believed at all, you need to hear what Jesus says to you in this passage. He says, you are not his sheep. If you do not believe in him, if you don't listen to his voice, you are not his sheep and you don't have the gift of eternal life he promises. Instead, you have the warning of his judgment when he returns. But the offer is there, isn't it? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Listen to my voice. He says, I am the door. Come to me. Enter life through me. The door is open. Listen and believe. Believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Trust in him and you will be his sheep. He will give you eternal life. He will never let you go. The offer is open. Take it up. But finally, if you are a believer in Christ, as many of us are, remember what Jesus is trying to do in this passage. Comfort his sheep. There's no room for reading this passage and saying, I don't think I'm one of Jesus' sheep. Unless you know you don't believe unless you've chosen not to believe in Jesus. If you are someone who says, I believe in Jesus, I follow him, I've listened to his voice, I've heard the good good news, and I want to accept it, you are his sheep. And Jesus wants you to know for sure that you are. He wants you to know that he will never let you go. No one can snatch you out of his hand. He wants you to be sure of your salvation. He wants you to know He has you. He will not let go. And that's so important, isn't it? Because it's so easy day to day to just flitter in and out of thinking you're a Christian and not a Christian. It's so easy to think, wow, I didn't do a good job of being a Christian today. Maybe I'll do better tomorrow. No. Jesus says, if you believe, you are my sheep. If you hear my voice and believe, you are part of my flock. I am your good shepherd. I laid down my life for you. Your eternity is secure and no one can snatch you out of my hand. Praise Jesus, our good and loving shepherd.
Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank and praise you again for the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. We can't thank you enough that he laid down his life for us. We can't thank you enough that he has given us eternal life. We praise you and thank you and ask that you would make us so sure of his love for us and that you will never let us go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.